Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't going to tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. A couple of years ago, uh, we, or I guess it was last year, we went to Israel. And on it was a second trip that Save the Cowboys made. And uh, we went up to a place called Masada. Now, Masada, if you watch the Discovery Channel, you've probably seen it. it it's built on a, on a high mountain deal. It was one of Herod's like palaces that he would go to. It had a view. It was right on the edge of the, of the Dead Sea and, and all of this stuff. Well, when Rome invaded Israel, um, a lot of the Jews fled to Masada. And you can still see on the backside of it, um, you, you can still see where the, the Romans came in and they built these earthen ramps. And I, I don't know, how tall are they? Like 15 stories tall. Imagine building a dirt ramp 15 stories tall to get up there. So anyway, now, now, you, now you take a cable car up there. And so we went up there and took a cable car and... Uh, Anyway, we, we looked around. It's really cool. They've got these lines drawn of, you know, where the original stuff was. And then they recreated, not all of it, but they recreated like the bathhouse and showed you all this cool stuff. So anyway, we went and we looked around Masada and then, and then we were coming back. And um, the, the company we go with is called Biblical Journeys. And uh, George is a friend of mine that owns it. And uh, anyway, he, wasn't, he was our tour guide the first time we went. And then he opened up his own and we went with his company, but we had another tour guide. And so we all ended up being at Masada together, even though George was doing his own tour, sometimes we'd run into people. And so anyway, we were talking to George and everything and and we were all getting ready. We happened to be there at the same time. So we're all leaving Masada and George is short in his group, one person. They don't know where this person is. And so George tells his group, y'all just go get on the cable car, you know, go with this other group. They're, they're with us as well. Same company. Uh, y'all go down together. And so this one guy, since George left to go find the one kind of like Jesus and went left the 99 to go find the one George went to find the one. And this one guy took it upon himself to be the assistant tour leader. And so he was doing a really good job of getting everybody on the uh, cable car. And I'm not going to say that I'm scared of cable cars, but you know, you you don't get on one of those things without, you know, a couple of scary movies or something, you know, going through your head. And this guy was going to pack 99 people into this cable car with us. And right before the doors closed, this person that's working the cable car says, Hey, somebody left a cell phone. Well, that guy was right there. And so Anyway, he starts yelling in this cable car, does anybody lose a cell phone? Cell phone. Like we could hear. I mean, this dude is like yelling. Did anybody lose a cell phone? There's a cell phone over here. And he goes on and on and on. And me and Abe and Neil and a couple others, Caitlin sitting there laughing. You know, we're like, oh my gosh. Okay. We heard you the first five minutes. And then he goes, Wait, it's mine. <laughs> so I, you know, I tried to beat my head against the glass just to fall out of the cable car, but I, you know, it's okay. It's okay. 
So anyway, when we get down to the, to the bottom, uh, he, he's so busy trying to round everybody else up that he loses his wife. Now, granted, okay, this cable car is like just the size of half this stage, right? And there's 400 of us packed in there. And so as we're getting out, <laughs> I took point and cause I had been there before and, and Abe and Neil, they were riding drag and this guy is yelling, like, I think her name, what was her name? Karen or, huh? Martha, that's right. He was like, Martha, Martha, I mean, you can't go anywhere. It's a hallway, you know? And he's like, Martha, Martha, Martha. And finally he gets flabbergasted and he's like, just follow the cowboys. I looked back and Abe is like, <laughs> I mean, seriously, this guy was like the third monkey lined up at Noah's Ark. He was not going to get left behind. Okay. He was not going to get left behind. But you know, Jesus talked about Noah's Ark and he talked about getting left behind. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 37, Jesus says, when the son of man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's days. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings. Does that sound familiar? In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up until the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them away. That is the way it will be when the son of man returns. See, I think that we have this idea of, 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 you know, back then, you know, that they were talking in caveman language and everything, but you know, they, they were, Jesus says it right here. He said, you know, they were, they were enjoying banquets, parties, and weddings right up until the time that, uh, and, and Noah had been building this boat and everybody had been scoffing at him and making fun of him for a long time. And he told them what was coming. They didn't believe him. See, what Jesus is trying to say is there will come a time when it is too late. There will come a time when it is too late. In the very next verse, verse 40, he says, two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. And, and you know, I always, until I started studying this, I always thought that that was kind of talking about the rapture or something like that, that the person taken is the one that was living the right life. But in, in this context, and you have to go back to the Greek to understand it, and I'm just going to tell you, that what Jesus is talking about when he says one will be taken, one will be taken for judgment. The one that is left gets to remain with Jesus. Okay. So just little biblical knowledge there. Um, but he says two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken. The other left two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken. The other left. There will come a time when it's too late. And so really in one of the commentaries that I was studying, it said that, that if, if they would have been assigned, you know, splitting the Bible up into chapters and verses, just so you know, the Bible wasn't, you know, Matthew didn't say Matthew chapter 24, verse one. It's just a long letter and they divided it up so that people could find stuff easier that it should have probably been started at Matthew chapter 25, right there at about verse 37 or, or 40, because over the next rest of Matthew chapter 24 and 25, Jesus gives us some applicable uh, thing, uh, parables that he tells, four parables of what it's like to be ready. Because one day it will be too late. 
Actually, I divided all of his parables that he talks about at the end of Matthew 24 and 25 into about two things that Jesus tries to get across to us over and over and over and over with many parables is be ready and be prepared. And that's what we'll talk about today. The first one, Jesus says, man, you've got to be ready. You've got to be ready. In verse 42, um, Jesus says, so you too must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready at all time for the son of man will come when least expected. What is Jesus telling us there? It's like, man, you've got to pay attention. You have to pay attention. You know, we have the opportunity um, to take people out on our ranches. And if you would like to, uh, to come ride with us sometime, uh, get with Mitch afterwards or send us an email uh, online and, and you'll have the opportunity to come ride. But a lot of times whenever we take people riding and, and, it, and it's happening and, I, and if it, and I'm not talking about you, okay? I'm not talking about you. And, and we've all done it as this learning process continues, but we'll be riding along and, and there's two types of, of kind of cowboys. There's those that can read cattle and there can be a cow in the middle of the herd. And you know, at some point she's going to work her way over to the side and she's going to try to go the wrong way. A good cowboy that's paying attention can see all of that before a cow tries to go the wrong way. He's already being proactive. He's up there. He's like, uh-uh, you're not going to do this. And then we've seen other people that their idea of cowboying is just to be behind the cattle. You know, and, and you like have to whistle at somebody and you're like, uh, that's your spot. And you've got a cow going the wrong way. Oh, you know, and they'll run over and get it. They're, they're not paying attention. But Jesus says right here, so you too must keep watch. You must keep watch. It's like, if you knew your house was going to be broken into, man, you, you, you would make sure that you were there or, or whatever the case may be. You'd lock the doors or, or whatever. You have to be ready. You have to pay attention. I mean, he, he starts all of this off that says, look, man, th- these people that say, oh, Jesus is coming back on this date. You can nearly guarantee that it's not going to happen. Okay. Cause even he says later on that he doesn't even know the day only God knows he's going to come back when his daddy says, all right, get on down there. It's your time. He's going to saddle up on his white horse and he's going to come back, right? But we have to be ready. I, I hear a lot of people that really dive into, into uh, prophecy and stuff like that. And, and, and I don't want to say I'm not a fan of Revelation. I, I don't understand Revelations. I mean, think about this. The Old Testament, you know, up until Jesus' time, they had all of the Old Testament. And all of the Old Testament had prophecy about the coming Messiah. And then the Messiah came and no, very few people in that day recognized him. So if they couldn't figure out who the Messiah was going to be, how am I going to figure out really what Revelation says? I think I can sum up all of New Testament prophecy with Jesus's words. Be ready. You've got to be ready. That means that you're going to have to be proactive. That means that you're going to have to be diligent. See, some people aren't cowboying. They're just riding behind the cattle. There, there, there's, there's, there's a big difference. The second thing that Jesus talks about is to be faithful. And he gives this parable starting in verse 45. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. 
If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if that servant is evil and thinks my master won't be back for a while? And he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. Is any of this sounding familiar with the way the world operates? Man, this is 2000 years ago. Jesus was saying this and it's still applicable today. I mean, are, are we at who he's talking about? Servants. Those are that's us Christians. Are we doing these things? Are we a faithful servant in keeping watch and being ready and, and feeding and taking care of being a good steward for God? Or are we like the evil servant that's like, ah, I got plenty of time. Jesus isn't coming back today. We'll throw a party. We'll get drunk. We'll beat servants, I guess. See, faith might be said to be the character of your soul. If you want to be ready, you got to pay attention, but you also have to be faithful. If you're not faithful, you're not ready. And faith might be said to be the character of our soul. And if faith is the character of our soul, then faithfulness would be the integrity of our soul. You know what integrity is, right? What do you do when nobody's there to pat you on the back? What do you do when nobody's there to see what you're doing? That's integrity. Faithfulness is the integrity of our soul. What do we do while Jesus isn't here? We've got the Holy Spirit with us, right? We have to learn to be faithful. What do you do when you think Jesus isn't watching? Just because you're by yourself doesn't mean you're by yourself because Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. See, some of us might need to be changing the way that we talk, the way we spend our time. Some of us might need to watch what we're posting on social media. Even Jesus can't find the swimsuits some of those girls are supposed to be wearing that y'all are posting. I mean, seriously, everything that we do is a reflection of who we say we are. Who are you? Who am I? Now, I'm not saying that we, we can't enjoy life, man. Let's enjoy life, but let's enjoy it the way God said to enjoy it. Let's be ready. Let's pay attention and let's be faithful. The second half of these parables, I think, is about being prepared. In Matthew chapter 25, the very first parable is talking about these 10 bridesmaids. And people in Jesus's day, they, they understood all of this. And, and I, I've gone back and forth of, of trying to explain this at length, but let, let me just summarize it. Okay. It says that there's, there's 10 bridesmaids. They all take their little oil lamps and they go out and they wait for the bridegroom. And it was a custom back then that the groom would, would come and then all the bridesmaids would, would usher the groom into the bride. And then there'd be a big, big pachanga, right? There'd be a big old festival, right? So they go and they're waiting and half of the bridesmaids, they get tired and they fall asleep. And the other five are there waiting. Well, they wait so long that the oil in their lamps starts getting used up. But five of them brought extra oil. They were prepared that if they had to wait all night for this groom to come, that they would. And so they put some more in and then people start shouting. It's like, here comes the groom. Here comes the groom. Here comes the groom. And the others jump up and they're like, oh my gosh, my lamp went out. I don't have any oil. Let me have some of yours. And they're like, I just used all of mine. You'll have to go buy more at the market. And so they run down there to the market and they buy some and then they come back and they have already made it to the house. And once they make it to the house, the doors are closed and locked. And so the bridesmaids, they beat on the door and they're like, let us in, let us in. And the groom says, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. Jesus is telling us right here that we need to be prepared, but he's also telling us 
that we got to take responsibility for ourselves. See, nowhere in there did he say, well, everybody must share their oil. You must be prepared. And if somebody's not prepared, then you take responsibility for them. And, and now they're your responsibility. He doesn't say that. And I say it to y'all nearly every single week that your relationship with Jesus Christ is your responsibility and your responsibility alone. You know, I, I say it all the time that I, I'm not here to feed you. I am not here to give you oil from my lamp. I'm here to tell you that you need to get your own oil. You need to have your own relationship with God. It is that important because if we don't have a relationship with God, then we're not ready. And if we're not ready, we're not paying attention. And if we're not paying attention, then we can't be faithful. We got to be prepared. The second parable in Matthew chapter 25 is one of my favorites. It's the parable of the talents. Okay, now a talent, uh, let me see if I can remember this right. A denarius was basically equal to uh, a day's wage. So if, you know, let's say $10 an hour, let's just say in modern times, it's, let's just say it's a hundred bucks for a day wage. If you go day work, somebody, somebody, yeah, I'll pay you a hundred bucks to come day work today. So you say, okay. So a denarius is worth a hundred bucks. A talent, I believe is 60 denariuses. So we're talking about, uh, what would that be? $6,000, right? So to the first servant, he gives uh, 10 talents. I mean, we're talking about $60,000. And to the next one, he gives less than that. And then to the last one, he gives one talent and he, and he leaves and, and it's, and it's a parable. And he says, so this servant goes, or this master goes and he gives 10 talents to this guy. And he gives, you know, I think it's six talents to this guy. And he gives one talent to the third guy. And then whenever he comes back, the, the first guy has doubled the master's money. And he's like, man, I had 10 talents. Here's now I doubled it. Here's 20 talents. And uh, the master says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then the second guy says, man, you gave me six talents. Here's 12 talents. I doubled your money. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And then the last guy said, man, you only gave me one talent. And I was scared that something would happen to it. So I just buried it in the dirt. But I went and I saw you coming. So I dug it back up. Here's your, ta here's your talent back. And he kicks him off the ranch. He says, man, you, at least you could have put it in the bank where I would draw interest. You did absolutely nothing with the talent that I gave you. See, I think what Jesus is saying with being prepared is not only do we take responsibility for ourselves, we've got a responsibility to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. How do we be the best version? I mean, think about what that last guy said. He's like, I was scared that I would lose everything. You can't be the best version of you if you're always afraid. I mean, nearly every decision we make is not usually based on the word of God. It's based upon our fears. I'm scared to do this. I don't want to do this. You know, that's too scary. Blah, blah, blah. We make more decisions based upon our fears than based upon the word of God. And if you want to be the best version of yourself, then you have to understand that you can't be the best version of yourself while you're living in fear. Did not Jesus say, do not be afraid? It is the most often repeated command in the New Testament, probably the whole Bible. Do not be afraid from Joshua to Matthew to, to nearly revelation. I would imagine that Jesus constantly tells us, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You cannot be the best version of yourself. You can't be prepared to meet Jesus if you're living in fear. We got to learn to take a risk. 
I mean, that master, he gave them, he didn't give them any instructions. He just said, here's $60,000. So that guy went, I don't know what he done, but he must have done something good because he doubled his money. He's like, here's your $120,000. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You can't be the best version of you while you're afraid. You can't be the best version of yourself while playing it safe. And isn't that what we do, man? We're scared to take risks. And I'm not talking about, you know, I, I have a lot of people. They, they send me emails and phone calls and, and messages on, on social media. And, and they, they, they want to start these, these big, big ministries. And, you know, man, it, it, you don't need money to start a ministry. Okay. You don't need money to start a ministry. You just need to live unafraid and take a risk and go tell somebody about Jesus. Use words if absolutely necessary. They should see Jesus in the way that we live. How to be the best version of you? Don't be afraid. Take a risk. And I'm not telling you to sell everything that you own and, you know, start a Guatemalan deal. But hey, some people do it. And look at, look at how that turns out. Or an orphanage in Mexico. Or a ministry in Kyle, Colorado. The last way to be the best version of you that I can think of is don't be, don't be satisfied with who you are. Work to become who God made you to be. And every stinking one of us, not you, every stinking one of us have a lot of room for growth. A lot of room for growth. Don't be satisfied with mediocre. Don't be, don't be satisfied with where you're at. You, you should want more of God in your life and, and you should put in the work. You should take responsibility and be faithful and be ready and be prepared to develop that relationship with him. See, you're going to meet Jesus. Now, I, every generation says this is that we're living in the last days. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, the, there, there's stuff in there that says, you know, that, that Jesus talks about that, that these are like birth pains when there's earthquakes and there's, there's been earthquakes forever. You know, I, I, I don't know. If Jesus doesn't know, I don't know when he's coming back. But one of two things is going to happen. He's either going to come back during your lifetime or you're going to meet him about one second after your heart stops beating. Make no mistake, every knee shall bow before Jesus. Are you prepared? Because this isn't just about Jesus coming back. It's about the way we live our lives. And a lot of people, man, they just want to throw parties and, and, and do all of this stuff that that means absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things. And they live and they think, oh, I've got time. I've got time. I've got time. Well, you know what that, that attitude does is it hardens our heart. And when our heart becomes hard, we just forget about God. And then when you forget about God, oh, you, you don't want that reminder. Whenever you pass away and you stand before him, would you rather him throw you out, throw you off the place? Or would you really rather hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Get on in here. Get on in here. Be ready. Be prepared. Pay attention. Be faithful. Take responsibility for yourself. Get your own oil and be the best version of you. Use what God has given you to serve others and to serve the kingdom of God. See, in the beginning, in the beginning, I told you a story. Y'all thought that I was making fun of that guy, but I wasn't. He was someone that wasn't afraid to speak up. He was someone that wasn't afraid to admit when he made a mistake. And he loved everyone enough 
to try to keep them together and keep them on the right track. You know, I joked and said that he was like the third monkey in line and it was starting to rain, right? At Noah's Ark. Well, guess what? I'm that third monkey too. And I'm getting on that boat. I'm going to apply these biblical principles outlined in Matthew 24 and 25 in every aspect of my life, not just my faith, in my job, in my family, in my faith, in my interaction with others. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to pay attention and be faithful in all that I do to the absolute best of my ability and beyond. I'm going to be that third monkey. I'm getting on that boat and I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to take responsibility for myself and I'm going to try to become the absolute best version of me that I can possibly become. Maybe even more than that. I'm not just going to rely on myself. I'm going to rely on God. I'm going to do things God's way, not my ways. I'm going to put my priorities in what God says to do, not what I want to do. Every aspect of our lives can be radically transformed by these principles of being ready, paying attention, and being faithful in everything that you do, and by being prepared, by taking responsibility for yourself, and by becoming the best version of you. Take risks. Don't be afraid. And do not be satisfied with less than what God has in store for you. I'm the third monkey. And I'm getting on that boat. And I hope all y'all monkeys come with me. Let's go to God in prayer. Uh, everybody take their hats off. Robert needs extra time. Father, I'm just going to say it for myself and for everyone else. We take you for granted. We don't honor the forgiveness that you died for. We expect it. We don't give you our lives, even though you gave yours for us. Your grace and mercy doesn't change our lives. We just ask for more down here instead of more of you with us. God, a lot of us have missed the boat because we thought the world and money could save us and make us happy. Well, God, I pray that you raise up some third monkeys today too and transform their lives. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.